Hi, my name's Andy Day. I'm the founder and CEO of Capital A, and welcome to MA QA. Today we have a very special guest, Sir Martin Sorrell, who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give you one anyway. He's the founder and executive chairman of S4 Capital, the purely digital new age, new era marketing services company. Sir Martin's marketing career began at Saatchi Saatchi in 1975, where he led the acquisition of many of the businesses that grew the agency to be the largest in the world with organic growth. And he's credited with being the perfecter of the upfront and earnout agency acquisition. In 1985, he invested in Wire and Plastic Products PLC and quickly went on to acquire 18 agencies in just 18 months. As WPP, the business went on to grow to a market cap of 20 billion, acquiring many companies every year. In 2018, Sir Martin formed S4 Capital and acquired the Media Monks business for $350 million, and then later that year, Mighty Hive for $150 million, creating a data-driven content and digital media company that operates as one P&L, merging target companies into one of its two main divisions and creating a new era, new media solution for brands. It's hard to keep track with the merger pace of S4 Capital. Eight mergers last year and this year, they announced two mergers while most people were still recovering from their New Year's hangovers and have continued on an ambitious growth path and are now valued north of $3 billion. Obviously, it's amazing to have Sir Martin on M&A Q&A and I'm eager to learn more about his take on M&A in general as well as his journey in marketing and beyond. Sir Martin, welcome. How are you doing? Well, I think most of what you said was accurate. You checked it with me before you... <laughs> you or my version, my version of accuracy. Uh, there was one thing you said. I was the perfecter of uh, of earnouts. I think that's probably probably it was uh, the House of Rothschild at the Battle of Waterloo. That did. so I, I I used earnouts. That that's now a defunct model in my view, uh, and the the model that we're pursuing at S four is a very different one. It's a, a unitary model. Yeah, and one of one of the problems the holding company. I don't know if we've got anybody on the call who's who's part of a holding company or the there's six or five who exclude have us, but their model is not fit for purpose anymore. It's a, it's a too too much of a vertical model. It needs to be unified. I think the other thing, Andy, and the stuff that you sent me to sort of edit what came out was. And I think this is a fundamentally important thing. It is you know acquiring, but unless you're in the sort of value acquisition business, i.e. you look for undervalued assets and you you can buy undervalued assets cheaply, which is not the business we're in. We're in the business as for growth. Unless you do that, uh, I mean, what you have to have is a, is a business or be in the business, be in a part of the business that is growing. So organic growth, you can't replace organic growth with growth by acquisition. And yeah, you, you, it was interesting. The, the stuff that you sent me to edit sort of said, well, these companies grow by acquisition. The answer is they don't. Okay. They grow organically. So you'll see our Q1 results in uh, a few days, but basically you'll see there's a, a violent um, growth that is driven half by organic and half by deals. Yeah. And I think everyone in this call should understand that, again, unless you're sort of in the asset stripping business, which nowadays is very difficult to do, or if you're in the property business, which you know, finding value in the property business is also difficult to do. It didn't used to be do, 
difficult to do in the old days. But unless you're in that business, really what you have to have is a heartland or a core of the business that's growing. It's no good grafting on or acquiring businesses you know, just for the sake of acquiring businesses. That, it, yeah. In my mind, there has to be a strong strategic positioning of the business. You know, you start with nothing. So we we went and we started with nothing three years ago. And the first deal, you know, I had a, the vision was or the, the concept was around growth and about data-driven digital advertising content and digital media. So Media Monks was the content piece. Mighty Hive was the data and analytics and digital media piece. But once we had those in place, we have a strong core that, you know, we say to the market, we're going to double the size of the company organically mm. over three years. And we've had three three-year plans where we said that, which means that we have to grow by about 24, 25% each year organically. Forget about deals, organically to succeed. So, you know, we can't underline too much. Forget about acquiring businesses. Get your own business in order and growing because there's no point in grafting on a healthy, I don't know what the guarding analogy would be, a healthy twig onto or branch onto a dying tree. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into that in more detail, Sir Martin, as we go along. In fact, I think we do talk about organic growth a little bit later on, one of the questions. But for now, let's kick off the way we usually do with these calls. So I always ask for a background check on our guests. And I wanted to, to ask you a little bit more about how you got into marketing in particular, because you, you almost seem to have started acquiring companies straight off the bat, Saatchi and Saatchi. But what happened before that and how, how did that Yeah, well, I, I, sort of, I, sort of, I sort of got into my accident because my dad always said, uh, find, find an industry you enjoy and find a company within that industry you enjoy, build a reputation if you want to start your own business, do that. And I think he actually did say to me, you know, started around 40, because 40 actually is the year where, well, in the old days now, you know, I'm 76 now. So we obviously carry on. People used to talk when I started about retiring when they were 55 or 60, would you believe? <laughs> and now people are talking talking about living until they're 100, 120. So life has literally changed. But that's what my dad said. And I did economics and business school in America. No, no experience. Well, I did a little bit of experience in between, but summer jobs. Went straight to B school, came out of B school, went into consulting in America. I was, there was a danger I would be drafted. My mother didn't want me to be drafted in the US. I came back here and, and worked for Mark McCormack in, at ING. I then left Mark McCormack to try and do something with my dad, actually, which who I loved dearly and I really wanted to go into business with, but it, it just didn't work out very sadly. And I, I ended up getting a job advising James Gulliver, who was a retail entrepreneur, food retail entrepreneur, uh, on his, he, uh, you know, he called me personal financial advisor, but I really was his gopher or his turtle carrying his bag. Anyway, he, he had a little bit of money and he had sold his company to RCA Corporation Oreo Foods to RCA Corporation. Don't ask me why RCA bought. It's a good lesson on, on deals. Why, why would a sort of radio and TV, music and electronics company buy a retail food company? You go figure. I don't, I don't figure that at all. Uh, and I think it was proved to be a disaster in the long term. But anyway, uh, James made some money and he wanted to invest it in various things. And we invested in a number of 
not shell companies, but small companies, Sayers Confectioners was a confectionery company up in Liverpool with shops. Tamna Rutledge was a sweet company. Alpine Holdings was a double glazing company. And then there was this advertising agency called Garland Compton, which had reversed into a shell company, which Pat Matthews, who was a, sl- a Jim Slater lookalike, uh, it was called the Birmingham Crematorium. And Garland Compton had been reversed into it. It was a cre- old, one of these old crematoria companies. And Ken Gill, who was chairman of the of Garland Compton, was a good friend of James, uh, wanted a, a sort of creative infusion. And so Saatchi is rever- reversed into Garland Compton. And, and each of those companies, Sayers, Tamers, Rutledge, Alpine Holdings, and then what became Saatchi and Saatchi, Garland Compton, Saatchi and Saatchi, yes, Saatchi and Saatchi Compton, each of them we did consulting assignments for. And Morris uh, Saatchi, one of the two Saatchi brothers, hired a, a headhunter to find a CFO. And I was doing one day a week consulting at an office in Charlotte Street in Charlotte in, in the Saatchi building. And uh, after a few months, you know, Morris had, had seen a lot of CFOs from newspaper groups who in those days, you know, if you didn't get to them before 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock in the morning, you couldn't talk to them for the rest of the day, if you get my meaning. Yeah. And Morris was complaining complaining about that. And Brian said, well, who do you want? And he said, somebody like Martin. And he said, have you asked Martin? He said, no. So he said, well, I'll go and ask him. So he asked me and I said, yes. And that was it. And I started, so it was pretty by accident, but I liked the industry because Going back to my dad's philosophy, I liked the industry because it was fun. You're only as good as your last idea. It was rather like sports and entertainment. You could break in. You needed a phone and an office, and that was it. Well, you didn't even need an office. You could do it from a telephone kiosk, and you just got going and got and got. So it was really quite exciting. And you know, at Sarches, nothing was impossible. You were fine as long as you didn't get any public credit you could do anything anything that you wanted there as long as you didn't get any public credit for it which i think probably was an achilles heel at the end of the day but anyway having said that you know we were off to the races and i looked after the finances which were not in great shape when i arrived to be honest i mean the two companies such as and garland compton slammed together literally there was very little financial backbone and structure and we put that in and then that was a good base. But, you know, coming back to my initial comment, Sarge's as an agency was outstanding. And, you know, I think the team we have at S4 now is as good, if not better than that. But you'd be hard pressed to find better teams than the team at Sarge's in those days. Tim Bell, Jeremy Sinclair, Bill Muirhead, in addition to the two brothers. And, you know, it was a, a really interesting time. So the core business grew. We expanded geographically in the UK to become the biggest operation in the UK. Then we went to America. You know, that was the big market, still is the big, biggest market. And then the rest is history. We expanded globally. So, yeah. and then at WPP, I left when I was 40. I took my father's advice. I built a reputation, not a sort of public reputation, more a reputation amongst advisors and institutions that I knew what I was doing. And I bought into a shell company. And the rest is history, and we built that into the biggest in the in the world. If that's uh, and now we're, we're we're on a third journey. The the two journeys, the the Saatchi journey and the WPP journey, are very different to the S four journey. The S four journey journey is built around growth, 
charges in that WPP to some extent build around growth, but they were also built around value. The market has shifted, I think. The market looks for top-line growth primarily. So, for example, if on May the 4th, when we announced our numbers, we showed an extra 100 basis points of top-line growth, we don't have to show our margins and everything on it, and it's a quarterly report. But, you know, if, if, if it was the choice between 100 basis points on the top line or 100 basis points on the margin, the, 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 the value would increase far more with 100 basis points on the top line than the bottom line. That's a shift from when we were at, um, I was starting at Sarches or WPP. Then it was much more evenly balanced. I would have said 50-50. And now it's 60, probably two-thirds, one-third, maybe even 75-25, particularly in a digital environment. S4 is purely digital. We have four basic principles. We're purely digital because that's where the growth is. We have this data-driven model, the Holy Trinity model. We call it driving digital advertising content and digital media. We're faster, better, cheaper. That's how we go to market. And we have this unitary structure. So very different. And our mission is to create the new, new age, new era advertising and marketing services model and to and to disrupt the we're disruptors to disrupt yeah. the traditional agency model. So you know that's that uh, that is so we're, we're men and women on a mission. There's a yeah. so, there's so Mike, can I just, just take you back to, to that early part of Saatchi and Saatchi? Because I think most of the people on the call today will identify with the, the sort of early stages of the businesses rather than when they're they're huge behemoths. But what was the strategy for acquisitions when you were at Saatchi and Saatchi? Was there a, a certain type well, of well, that you were uh, looking well for? again again you had to have a, a strong organic base. Yeah. But, you know, we, we built, uh, actually, it was uh, an article that I found in the Harvard Business Review in October of 1983. It was by a guy called Ted Levitt, who was a seminal marketing professor at HBS, where, where I studied. And um, he wrote an article in 83. It was a, a really iconic article. He, he said, he talked about globalization. And he said, consumers... Basically, the message was consumers will consume goods and services in the same way everywhere. In other words, the world will become increasingly globalized. And that's what we that's what we built Sarches on. WPP, you know, to my mind, there are two buckets you have to think about. You have to think about the geographical bucket. This pertains to organic growth as well as it does to growth through deals. There's a geographical bucket, i.e., you know, bricks and next 11. When I was at WPP, you know, we, we, we managed to get a third of our business in the US, the third in EMEA, and a third in Asia Pacific. We had huge businesses. They still have, but they're not as good as they used to be in India and China. We got a we built a 20% market share in China, a 50% share in India. I mean, we were lucky. So there's a geographic bucket and then there's a tech bucket. So searches was about the geographic bucket, globalization. WPP was a about continuation and rebalancing of that because Asia Pacific was becoming more important. And also the tech bucket because digital transformation, the web, web 2.0, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, S4, S4 is really, uh, it's actually interesting on the global scale. We're only in 31 countries. We have 5,000 people in 31 countries. Uh, that's a different model. I and mean, we will never, I think, go beyond about maybe 35 countries. Uh, WPP was 113 countries. There is no need with modern technology to be in 113 countries. 
you're going to hub stuff much, much more easily. So the geographical footprints, again, going back to the buckets, S4 is around, it's a global company, and we want to be 40, 20, 40. So foot, we're 70, 20, 10 at the moment, 70 Americas, 20 EMEA, 10 Asia Pacific. We want to be 40, 20, 40. Why? India and China are going to be the amongst the biggest economies. And China is going to be the biggest in 2028. Uh, 2028, I think it is. And India, despite what's going on at the moment, will not be far behind, certainly from a population point of view. It'll be the biggest on the planet. So so that's the sort of geographic bucket. But S4 is dominated by the digital bucket. So it's it's a growth company built on digital transformation. So actually, it's quite a neat, a neat way of putting it, is when I started at Sarches, when Levitt was writing that article in the Harvard Business Review, Buffett, Warren Buffett, was buying Ogilvy and IPG before, you know, before I got to, or when I got to Sarches, was buying them. They were only, they were selling on those exchanges at three or four times PE, and people didn't like them because they were service business, you know, assets going up and down and lifting out, out, you know, out of the office every evening. But he said, buy the agencies because they're a royalty on the growth of globalization. S4 is a royalty on the growth of digital. That's what people don't really understand. Right. We're not technologically, we're not ad tech, we're not brand tech. I don't have anything to do to, in terms of being dependent on one technology or another. You know, we, we, it's worth running through who we, so we look at Google, Facebook, Amazon, Tencent, Alibaba, TikTok, uh, Apple and Microsoft. Uh, Adobe, Oracle, Salesforce, IBM, SAP, Twitter, Snap, Pinterest, Netflix, Spotify, LG, Samsung, Epic, JD.com, Xiaomi. I mean, we're we're evaluating the strengths and weaknesses for clients. This, we're a services company. We're evaluating the strengths and weaknesses. You know, Snap today or yesterday reported 66% growth. Uh, in its the latest quarter, you know, how many companies do you come across who grow at 66%? But the, you know, it's two and a half billion of ad revenues, whereas Google is about 180 billion, Facebook's 80, and Amazon's 20. So Snap has a long way to go. But our role is to evaluate the relative merits. We don't care in a way who wins and who loses technologically. So if Epic Fortnite technology, the Unreal Engine, becomes more and more important, which it is. You know, we set up a studio in New Delhi, which we're, we're doing, we've done now, uh, to, to use this Unreal Engine technology. So there's been a massive shift. It's, in a way, it's almost come full circle, in, well, not full circle, but there's a massive shift. So it started with Levitt and globalization. It morphed into an acceleration because of BRICS and the next 11, Jim O'Neill at Goldman and his theories around theories. It, you know, China was on the wrong side of history for a couple of hundred years. It's now going to be on the right side of his, history. In a way, in the 19th century, those those economies dominated the world like they are, and they're going to dominate them again, 40% of worldwide GDP in the early 19th century. And that's where, again, they will be in fairly short order. But then you've got, you've got technology making globalization easier, and then you've got the rise of technology. So it's it's a really interesting pivot. Uh, S4 is a really interesting pivot away from the traditional model. 
Yeah. So can I just ask you then, what advice would you give to other agency CEOs? So obviously, you, you, it's very clear. Why, 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 very why would I? Why would it? Why scale. would I advise any competitors to do anything? What, what, what possible you, advantage can I have? Because you're a good guy, Martin, and we're all here to learn from you. So <laughs> there's not there's nothing to learn. So um, no, look, look, it depends on. You know, I, I I think if you're trying to put something together, I think you had to have. You know, when I left. WPP, you know, and I still retain my my two percent WPP, which is worth a fair amount of money. You know, I I thought well, look, I've been struggling particularly in the last twelve months with with top line growth. So I want so you know, if there's any lessons from what I did, it is find an organic growth story that makes sense. I mean, that's fundamental. I mean, just buying companies for the sake of buying companies is a a mugs game. Mm-hmm. You know, that will lead lead to ruin. So you had to have a strategy. Our strategy was build the new model, disrupt the old, purely digital because that's the growth is, the the holy trinity model, uh, faster, better, cheaper, and last but not least, the unitary model. So that, you know, that's the philosophy. Yeah. Um, and so, so so Martin, into- if you could do it again, though, without maybe the resources that you did that you started S four Capital with. So, if you can think about that, so how if you had very few resources, but we're well, I, 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 I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know, if we if we if we job back Andy to April of two thousand and eighteen, I would. You know, if, if I had to start from scratch, I would start yeah, from did. scratch. So I would. Mm-hmm. I would have tried. I would try. You know, I took forty million of my own money. And I went to 10 institutions and I say, would you invest a million pounds each on the understanding? So I made a total cap of 50 million on the understanding that when I find the first deal, you know, I laid out the strategy, which I just laid out to you. I said, this is what we're yeah. going to do. And I said, you each put in, in a million. And then on the understanding, not a legal commitment, but you underwrite the first deal that we do. And that we reversed Media Monk's which was a 300 million euro transaction into S4. And then we reversed S4 into a quoted shell Derrison. I don't believe in SPACs. I mean, SPACs, you know, too, too big a promote, too big a fees. You know, it's a, it's a love fest for, for, for advisors. You know, I, I think it's a, a joke, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, so you didn't, you, it, uh, it, relatively speaking, you put a lot more skin in the game to those other ten institutions that, that underwrote. Well, I, yeah, I, I had eighty percent at the beginning. I now, I now effectively own twenty percent of S four. I have ten uh, percent stake shareholding and about ten percent on the carry because we we set up a private equity structure there, which is quite interesting and unusual. I have a control share, unless we give up the control share, which I'm not prepared to do. But it's interesting because it's being examined as whether we should be standard listening should be part of the index, even if you have a dual structure. Because you know the problem: tech companies don't want to be listed in the UK mm-hmm. uh, because you know, there's not the flexibility. SPACs actually, probably from what I'm hearing, SPAC it would be easier to do a SPAC here in the UK at a time when the US have pretty much stopped. Yeah, and Amsterdam is flying, flying. Yeah, going to change the rules on on forecasts, and I think approval of the deals but i i don't think the spac structure is a good structure because it gives the promoters you know ad, promoters take 20 percent in some cases average eight i've been told i think that's a joke right and it's too long and it's too risky because they can always 
they can always uh, nix a deal. I mean, the investing institutions have up till what usually runs for two years, and you can always say that you don't approve of the deal. Anyway, uh, we reversed into Derriston on September the 13th, 2018. Uh, the stock opened up at 113, and today it is 564. So, you know, we've had a very good run so far, but we're in it for the long term. And the advice, you know, coming back to the advice, when you look at that history, is have a strategic plan, you know, a vision, and then start to implement it. If you start with nothing and you want to grow quickly, doing it organically is is not easy. So, you know, if you can lay your hands on finance, I, I, I would recommend people to hold on to their equity. I, I would recommend people not... To sell out, uh, to sell equity to private equity or to venture capital funds because their internal rates of return, i.e., their cost of capital, is so high yeah. that you get killed. So, so far so that's, off going that's to, good advice, then, I go, should imagine. But where, where would you get that, that finance from if it wasn't from private equity? Go, 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 go to the bank. Go, go to, to the, the bank. bank. Oh, mortgage, mortgage your house, mortgage your partner and children. I mean, do whatever you have to do. Um, <laughs> don't, don't listen to the siren calls of private equity. I mean, Steve Schwarzman is probably the most successful private equity guy certainly I've come across. I remember saying to me many, many years, I've known him for a long, long time. He said to me, don't ever come to me for money, Martin, because we're too expensive. And he's right, because, you know, if, it, if they're earning, well, forget about 20%, 25%, let's say they're earning 15%. That's their cost of capital. That's what effectively going to it's going to cost you. So why bother? Go to the bank, borrow at three, four, five. Now yeah. there's more risk there, but there's more return. And you know, I I continually see people diluting themselves down unnecessarily. So that would be that would be my advice. So strong strategy. Then you have to put the structure in place. Obviously, you're going to have some decent people. A decent team with you. The team we have at S4 is better than anything I've seen, uh, maybe even better than the Saatchi team that I referred to earlier in the conversation. Mm -hmm. So I think that is sort of strategy, structure, you know, vision, and strategy, structure, and then implementation. Yeah. Okay, and, and then just on that percentage thing, because you just mentioned that you were at 20% yourself. So how do you protect yourself to have control of the business while, while you are giving up? Well, I have, a, I have a control share. I think that ownership and control, uniting ownership and control is critically important. One of the problems with listed companies, you have managers, and there's nothing against managers, but you have managers who are managing their own position. If I look at WPP for a minute, if you go and look at their the board and see the extent of the financial commitment the board have made to the business, it's nothing, zero. Right. It's less uh, than, I think, the total total holdings of everybody on the board is, I don't think it even gets up to half a percent. So it, it, it's a nonsense. There is, you, there is a separation of ownership and control. You know, every day you get up in the morning with your heart in your mouth because, you know, you have a significant investment in the business your motivation is totally different. If you have share options or restricted stock based on you staying there, your motivation is different. If you're if you you know gone to the bank and borrowed some money or invested some hard-earned 
uh, wealth that you've accumulated over a period of years, which is what I did in when I was going into Saatchi's. And I borrowed against my Saatchi stock. I think I had a million or a couple of million, which in those days was a lot of money, mm. a pound's worth of stock. And I borrowed against it and took a risk, put £250,000 into wire and plastic products, as it then was. Um, yeah, I think that's a better. That, that's the way to do it. I, yeah. I, I think you have to you have to put your money where, uh, crudely money where your mouth is. I, I think that you know Buffett again said, you know, you wouldn't give an institution a call on your stock for ten years at zero cost. So why do it with management? He was getting it that options. You know, options are heads I win, tails you lose. If I'm a manager, yeah, if a stock goes up, I win. If it goes nowhere. I don't lose anything. So what's the point? You wouldn't do that with an institution. So why would you do that with a manager? And it creates some time, you know, it's sort of management's mind, a culture of, uh, you know, I'm more interested in preserving my job and not taking risks. You know, at least we know, because I have control, that if we take a risk, we're not going to get kicked out. If you're working on quarterly earnings, which we are too, by the way, but if you're working on quarterly sales or half-yearly earnings or whatever it happens to be, obviously, you're very concerned about the potential risk of getting kicked out. And the average life of a, of a CEO in a listed company is five years. That's the P500. I think you've got a record, haven't you? No. No, it's a little bit of a cheat because we, I think we went into the FTSE when 1997. So I would have been, and I, you know, I exited in eighteen. So that would be twenty-one years. That would have pretty much been been at the top, but but you know, of the range. But the average is five years. So yeah, it's very short. You know, people people are not w- willing to take risk. Can you tell us a, a little bit more? So that's uh, that's good sort of uh, base to build on the next bit. I'm going to ask you about mergers. So your strategies change very differently from acquisitions. I said at the top about you know, uh, doing the air now and perfecting the air now. But actually, you've kind of gone completely away from that now and you're more focused on merging all the, the acquisitions. Uh, yeah, we use the word merger and we don't use it lightly. So could you tell us very quickly how do you sort of find targets So, what are you looking for and how are you finding those targets and just sort of a, a general explanation yeah. of how, you've, how you do valuations. So you mentioned one-time revenue there, but... Is that the way well, that you're doing valuations for businesses that well, you're, you're? So, doing? so first of all, on, on the process, I mean, Scott Spirit works with me. He was our chief digital officer at WPP. He worked there for 15 years in Shanghai for seven years, and now in Singapore. Michelle Dreich, as well as looks after Asia Pacific, also came from WPP. I mean, we 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 do two things. Firstly, we do our own research. Obviously, uh, you know, we follow. All the sources that you know, clients, analysts, uh, media companies, everybody, uh, and we we have our own research. We identify, do sort of original research, and identify. <clears throat> Bankers and brokers tend to be sort of episodic, or they tend to be serendipitous in the sense that that you know they they give you a transaction that somebody's come to talk to them about rather than doing fundamental. We do fundamental analysis. The other thing we do is we go to our partners. So we will go to the platforms, we'll go to the software companies, we'll go to the to the hardware companies, and we say, who who do you think? You know, we work so closely with them. 
Mm. Who do you think we should be interested in? And then on the criteria, we have four criteria. One is top-line growth. Two is decent margins, which we define as 20% plus. So our margins are running at 21, 22, 23 after central cost. So before central cost, a little bit higher. We think uh, 20% plus EBITDA margins and the holding companies are around 15. So we think they become commoditized. So that 500 basis points reflects the fact they become commoditized and we want it, we want leverage, we want some pricing leverage. So they have that, they could be at 15 with a pathway to 20 or 20 plus. That's what we look for. Okay, I'm going to open up to other questioners in a second, but I just wanted to finally ask you, Martin, um, where can people follow what you're doing? So do you have an internet presence? Are you on socials? How do we? Yeah, I, I, I have a LinkedIn, but I don't use it much, actually. I mean, if anybody wants to talk to me, they can email me at martin at s4capital.com. That's the easiest way. Brilliant. And that's how I got hold of you myself. So it definitely works. Okay. Right, thank you very much. So now I'm going to open up the questions to everybody that's attending. Yeah, so, so there's one actually on the chat. Do you see that, Andy? Michael Bassett. Uh, Michael Thank Bassett, you so yeah. much for the excellent. Can you please explain the unit model you speak of? How does it differ from the acquisition models and the other? Well, the answer is no earnouts, one PL. I mean, the, the holding companies burble on. And I, I, if I'm caustic, when I was at WPP, I used to talk about horizontality to everybody. That's a banned word now, WPP. But, you know, all that they've done is made it more vertical since I left. They haven't simplified it. They bumble on about saying they've simp- simplified it and made it more complicated. Because if you if you create verticals, you create disunity. You don't have unification. You know, our, our view is that you have to be like McKinsey or Goldman Sachs. So the answer to Michael's question is it is it is at one end of the model, you have one end of the spectrum you have disunity or fragmentation, which is the holding company model. The other end, you have unification or unitary structure, which is our model. Yeah, I'm conscious of the, the limited time we've got, so I just wanted to take a sure. question from our panelists, Will. Great. Um, thank you very much. The, um, I was going to ask you about digital disruption in the form of platforms and reading about John Hegarty's investment in Genie and looking like platforms are going to be able to do increasingly useful things in terms of bringing services together. How do you see that works? And in terms of, does that change the way that we might think about future cooperations and not necessarily going down the the M&A route, merely to get to a point of bringing different service providers together to get collateralization there? What is Genie? I don't know, Jimmy. Um, it, was, it was announced last week. It was a kind of AI-driven <coughs> recruitment platform where I think it crawls people's profiles and takes agency briefs and then tries to find the best strategists and creatives to meet them. I mean, I, we're using AI intensively. I don't, I don't happen to think that those sort of things will... Yeah, they, they might get a, an article in campaign, but beyond that, I don't... We'll see. Let's meet again in a year's time and see where Genie is. I, I don't think it works, my view. I, I just wonder whether people increasingly are kind of co-creating and cooperating independently of yeah, maybe these yeah, kind of institutions. Yeah, yes, they are. Yeah, yes, they are. But, but you just think about the organization that you have to do, the work that you have to do. I mean, you need an organization, I think, with a purpose, not, not a crowdsourced platform. I think what you have to do is, you know, you have to develop a strong brief with a client that knows where they're going, 
the models that the clients are built around either in-housing or the traditional outsource model. I'm not sure that those sort of platforms you're referring to can do if they're not as rigorous or as organized as the agency structures or the in-house structures. So that's the way I see things going. I mean, there'll be platforms, there'll be AI crawlers crawling all over the internet, there'll be freelancers, there'll be consultants. Mm. So was there any other questions from the panelists that are there? We've got that, I see, I see some Edo. stuff. I see some stuff on the chat here. Why don't we pick that out? I've got one here from Dino, okay. right? A digital yeah. agency having part of the team working remotely can bring down the valuation. Bring down what valuation? Valuation of an agency that's trying to sell, uh, I would assume. So would it be valuable? Um, well, you know, in a funny way, with the pandemic, that's in a way, they're not contractors, but that's in a funny way what, what the, the sort of structure has been. I mean, Asia-Pacific, in our case, which is only 10% of our business, are pretty much back in the office. I mean, in India, they are, but in China, they are, and Australia, and et cetera. But uh, Singapore, Europe is probably less so. I would say probably 30% back, maybe. Maybe, you know, UK is starting to get back. And then America, North America is improving. South America is still a problem because of Brazil. But in a funny way, I mean, they're not contractors, but we've been working remotely. Does it bring down the valuation? I think it's an interesting question. I mean, if I was a buyer or if I was a merger partner, I think I probably would say, yes, it does bring down the value valuation. Do I think it will be the same in two, three years? Yes, I think it will be the same. I don't think it's going to get any the less. So, so to retain their value, that's they- your question. Yeah, they they should they should hire the staff. Uh, no, I, I, you know, you know, so it's a bit related to the question about genie. I don't think you can you can yeah. create these subcontract models effectively. Maybe because I'm just biased because of what I'm doing. But well, you've mentioned um, before about assets being the people. So I suppose if you, those assets aren't within the company, then they're not owned assets. I I, I don't think the subcontract model, but I'm, it's maybe I'm an old fart and don't really understand what's happening in the world. And that everybody's going to be on a solid contract model with Genie and and whatever. I don't think so, though. I think there is a value in pulling things together in a unit. I mean, the unitary structure is not a subcontract structure. It's we're pulling everybody together as one. So, and so I part think, of the future you know, is maybe being able to develop culture in a remote environment as well, so that the teams can work. Well, it is. So we're 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 going to go back. You know, we, we, well, we, we are already a hybrid model. Mm. We're probably, on, a, on average, it will vary from, you know, I'm just writing the statement for May the 4th, and, you know, I say in that, you know, it will vary geographically. You know, in Asia, there'll be more people in the office because, because they don't have big, often don't have big apartments. So they live with their parents, et cetera. Mm. Uh, in Europe, less so. And maybe, you know, in, we'll see. We'll see how it, 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 it works out. There'll be more distance working and distance living, more varied commuting times, you know, certainly in, in most of the developments. So it'll be a different, it'll be a different model. Anonymous, what do you think about online agency platforms, so-called agency workers, such as Clutch Digital Agency Networks, which shortlist? Do you believe they might disrupt the shortlisting and pitch process between agencies and clients? Yeah. I don't really know enough about them. Now, this is going to get me into hot water. I, I don't think, you know, if I had a CMO, 
if I was a CEO of a client and I had a CMO and the CMO came to me and said, I want to hire a consultant to choose an agency, I would say to the CMO, well, why have I hired you? You, you surely must know. You're, being a, you're a CMO. You surely, why do you need anybody to help you? One question on the, the chat, and I think we'll probably have to wrap it up after this. So it's from Andrew Super. It says, could, okay. aug- what's, what's that? could augmented reality be a massive yeah. part of advertising and marketing in the years to come as Apple and, yes. uh, Apple and Facebook? Yes. Space? Yes. I mean, it, it's augmented and virtual, uh, huge. I think virtual reality. I mean, we've already done some, we, you know, we streamed NBA games with Verizon. We've streamed the Oculus conference for uh, Oculus engineers for Facebook. We converted a live event to an online event. <clears throat> I think we're planning the next one uh, for 4,000 people distributed headsets, et cetera. So uh, the answer is yes. I mean, that's a huge uh, opportunity. Uh, we're organizing a lot of internal sales conferences. We're reviewing, you know, we have a Whopper strategy. Uh, we, we, it's called 20 squared. Uh, so remember, we're 800 million this year or should be gross revenue. Uh, we, we want to have 20 clients of 20 million a year. We have currently five, Google, an unnamed Fang, because we have an NDA, BMW Mondelez, a BMW Mini Mondelez, and Facebook. Uh, we have another three that we think are on the cusp of going over 20 million this year, but our target is, is, is 20. So we review the progress on all those big clients, what we call tier one and we have tier two and tier three clients. So we're continuously reviewing that. Um, but you know, when the top eight people in the company meet virtually every day, you know, it's sort of, it's a different dynamic. I mean, we know, you know, you may think it sounds a pain in the ass to do that. It isn't. Because, you you know, you could you can do it, as I said, you can do it in 15 minutes, you can take 45 minutes. I think the longest we've ever had over the year probably was 45 minutes. Really gets to an hour. Most likely 30 minutes. So, and everyone so Martin, said, sorry, just yeah. on that point. So when you're doing due diligence, are you saying that you start working with those companies? Um, yes, to, te- we to test pitch. them on their, their culture. We, we, yeah, yeah, we, we culture and and pitch. So Jan three, which became uh, part of Media Monks, uh, you know, deal was done. The moment we signed the exclusive LOI, we pitched business together. Oh. Okay, brilliant. All right, we've got any more questions? Okay. Uh, just to we, we wrap things up, I think that's probably all we've got time for. Jerry, uh, Jerry's got the Jerry's got the best. Jerry's got the best. What's Jerry's girlfriend called? <laughs> this is Emily. Um, Emily. Emily had a question for you, and her question is: um, So you talked about uh, Andy mentioned sort of the earn out, the sort of three to five year earn out, and you said that you do more of a sort of a merger and there's less of an earn out. So the the owners of the acquired businesses. So do you envisage them still being with you as part of the group? You know, in in five, ten years. Yeah. Well, we're look, we're we're well, well fifty years. So we're 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 look we're looking for people who buy into the mission. I think I said we're sort of missionaries or zealots or uh, so we're we're not interested in you know the first sentence of every conversation is if you want to sell your business go and sell it to Accenture. 
or go and sell it to WPP, right? We're not, you know, we don't regard this as being a piece of meat that we're buying and selling. We regard it as being a, a way of building the new era, new age agency and disrupting the old. It's very important. So we, we see ourselves as grand, grand comparison being the Tesla of marketing services or the Amazon of marketing services. This is, we're on a mission. So the mission, you know, this may sound sort of woke, <laughs> but the mission is to create a new model. And, you know, I'd, I'd take it one level up. I'd say destroy the old. And we, we really want, we're intent on building something new and disrupting the old. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much, Sir Martin, for your time today. Thank you. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Enjoy it. Anybody, anybody want to talk anymore? Martin at s4capital.com. All right. Yeah, perfect. So they can email, email you well. and get an answer. All right, thanks very much. Have okay. a good rest God of your bless. day. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.